The Urbanist is brought to you in association with the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is a beacon of hope and inspiration. A catalyst to spark growth and collaboration with museums and experiences, where art and science and nature and technology coexist. The belief of Abu Dhabi that culture is the backbone of our society. Stay tuned for a special episode of the show, in which you can hear His Excellency Mohammed Khalifa Al-Mubarak explain exactly why and how Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is the perfect place to collaborate, create, and innovate. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi, proud partner of The Urbanist on Monocle Radio. Libraries are often, if you'll excuse the pun, some of the most storied structures in a city. The Boston Athenaeum is one of the oldest examples of such a building in the United States, and it has played an important role in the city's history as both an intellectual hub and a vital part of civic life too. You're listening to Tall Stories, a monocle production brought to you by the team behind The Urbanist. I'm Carlotta Rebello. In this episode, Gregory Scruggs takes us to the Athenaeum to explore its own fascinating story. In a city of storied edifices and venerated monuments to early American history, the muted stone facade of Ten and a Half Beacon Street in downtown Boston doesn't necessarily stand out. The Boston Athenaeum is located slightly off the Freedom Trail, a walking route where tourists revel in the historical sites from the American Revolution that they learned about in primary school. But a much quieter revolution took place behind the Athenaeum's ornate bronze doors, as the fledgling republic charted its own intellectual course and grappled with its internal contradictions. Taking inspiration from the Liverpool Athenaeum across the Atlantic, a group of learned Bostonians eager to connect with the wider world established their own private library and museum in 1807. The Boston Athenaeum thrived as the city's cultural hub decades before either a public library or fine arts museum entered the picture. Looking back, the Athenaeum's patron roster reads like a who's who of American intellectual life. Sixth U.S. President John Quincy Adams, novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., and Little Women author Louisa May Alcott, among many others. The Athenaeum was also a favorite haunt of philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson, a leading proponent of the Transcendentalism movement, who came weekly and allegedly read to distraction, finally emerging at the end of the day to inquire after the whereabouts of his young daughter, who was likely off somewhere roaming the stacks unattended. Along the way, the Boston Athenaeum became one of the country's leading archives, from a portion of George Washington's personal library, to a vital Civil War collection, to one of the few remaining copies of a 15th century early encyclopedia known as the Nuremberg Chronicle. I spoke with Athenaeum director Leia Rosovsky to learn more about the institution's curatorial philosophy. We are proponents of reading. We believe in reading in Whatever medium you want, we offer ebooks, we offer audiobooks. Interestingly, there's a belief that younger people don't read on paper. It's actually not supported by the data. There are a lot of younger people who read on paper, and we are glad to provide the paper on which they read. I mean, we, we support all kinds of reading. At the same time, 
a very critical part of our collecting of special material is around the history of the book. And when I say the history of the book, I mean the history of printing. I mean the history of the book as object, the history of the book as remarkable technical achievement, but also the history of the book as art. We have a significant collection of artist books, books that are created by artists as a work of art. And that can include anything ranging from a beautiful binding to a, a very small run of a book that has illustrations by an artist to a book that is actually an object of art itself. And we are very dedicated to collecting in that area. And as I said, have a very significant collection of those objects. Today, the Athenaeum endeavors to shine a spotlight on its vast treasure trove. The general public is welcome to visit exhibits in a ground floor gallery, where I recently inspected an original copy of Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, by Phyllis Wheatley. Published in 1773, this book of poems is considered the first by an African-American. Wheatley was born in West Africa, kidnapped as a child, forcibly shipped across the Atlantic on a 245-day voyage, and enslaved to a prominent Boston family. But in a remarkable turn of events, they taught her to read and write, then encouraged her emerging literary talent. The family even took her to London, where she found a publisher. It's an incredible story, made all the more vivid by seeing her printed work encased in glass. Now, Massachusetts abolished chattel slavery in the 1780s, and 19th century Boston was a hotbed of the anti-slavery movement. Outspoken abolitionists found a home at the Athenaeum, and several, including Emerson, went on to found a magazine, The Atlantic, that still shapes U.S. public debate today on politics, culture, and society. In March, the Athenaeum will open a new exhibit on the life of Harriet and Lewis Hayden, who escaped slavery in the American South and settled in Boston not far from Ten and a Half Beacon. They harbored fugitive slaves in their home as a node on a nationwide network known as the Underground Railroad. The Athenaeum will tell their story through carte de visite, or visiting cards, a popular form of mid-19th century photographic portraiture. The Athenaeum's gallery is one beneficiary of a $17 million renovation completed earlier this year that refurbished parts of the building and expanded the Athenaeum by over 1,100 square meters. Today, there is a delightful new children's library, perhaps something Ralph Waldo Emerson's daughter would have appreciated, as well as a new living room mixing contemporary chairs with antique furnishings and artwork from the Athenaeum's holdings. And of course, there's plenty of room for the 600,000 circulating books. Much of this hefty collection is stored in the drum, a wing with vertical stacks fragrant with the pungent, musty smell of old paper. Visiting the Boston Athenaeum transported me back to the countless hours I spent in libraries during my university days. And in academically-minded Boston, home to Harvard and MIT, that mix of nostalgia, history, and modern-day convenience is clearly appealing. Membership has grown to some 6,000 of what Rosovsky likes to call a community of the curious. On my recent visit, I was pleasantly surprised at the mix of ages, many skewing to their 20s and 30s, spending time deeply engaged in the act of reading. I asked Rosovsky, in her spare time from running one of Boston's most august institutions, where does she curl up with a good book? I think of a couple of spaces. The fifth floor is one of our absolutely iconic spaces. 
it's got the combination of uh, floor and gallery level with books all around, but it's really the sunlight on that floor. If you ever are on that floor on a sunny day, the way the light comes through in that space is magical. It's also a silent floor. And so for people who find that very inspiring, it's practically a religious experience being in there. I am a huge fan of the second floor, actually, which is where we have magazines laid out. It's the floor that has maintained the most traditional look because it has been used in that way during the whole time that the Athenaeum has been open. And it's got a very wonderful color scheme and is just this kind of beautiful, evocative space that combines color, huge windows, lots of light, and the magic of being surrounded by books. So on the second floor, you walk in and you see again, there's a gallery level there. It is painted in pink and white as well as this beautiful wrought iron with gold accents all through it. There's an incredible spiral staircase that leads between the first floor and the gallery level. And it looks like something out of really what it is, you know, a 19th century library, almost of your imagination. You know, if you were to read about it in a book and to imagine what it would look like, that's what it is. Tall Stories is a Monaco production from the team behind The Urbanist. This episode was written by Gregory Scruggs and produced and edited by David Stevens. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive new episodes every week. I'm Carlotta Rubello. Goodbye and thank you for listening, City Lovers. City Lovers.